I encourage you to pick up a copy of the notes today, and not because they're good. Actually, when I read through them later, I thought, this is terrible. But there are a couple of things in there that I feel are pertinent points. I think today what I'm going to do is give you a lot of things that are not the notes. If you have a pen, well, let me ask you this. Who doesn't have a pen? There we go. Let's get that accomplished first. Roxanne? I don't know what kind of arm Roxanne has. Okay? But something tells me she's much more gentle. Unless as a physician she's trying to drum up business. Then... We'll see what happens from that. (laughs) It's good. I'm going to ask you to write this down. If you wouldn't mind, I'll say it a few times for you. Every believer, every believer is a minister to the body. Every believer is a minister to the body and a missionary to the world. Every believer is a minister to the body and a missionary to the world. Everybody get that or didn't you say it again? One more time? Okay. Every believer is a minister to the body and a missionary to the world. And a missionary to the world. The next two Sundays, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about. Every believer is a minister to the body and a missionary to the world. Jesus is given a great commission. He has died on the cross and He has paid the penalty for sins. Done. In fact, He cried out, it is finished. And then three days later, by the power of God, He was raised from the dead And he appeared to many. In fact, if you look at your text here, in verse 16, but the eleven proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. If you'll remember in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gave a listing of the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection, and he brought up something very profound. And Jesus appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time. Everybody remember that? It is believed that this moment at this mountain in Galilee was the time that this happened. That it wasn't just the eleven. But there was a large gathering of believers. The reason why the eleven are brought up is of course because of the integral role they're going to play under the power of the Holy Spirit in forming the church after it is founded by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. But when they came there, they met many. Now, how do we know this? Watch. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, that's up north, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some were doubtful. I don't know about you, but after the situation that happened with Thomas, I seriously doubt that any of the eleven were doubtful again. In fact, if you remember, Jesus appeared to the ten while Thomas wasn't there, They were rejoicing because they saw the Lord. And when Thomas walked in later without the Lord being there, he was the one that was full of skepticism. Eight days later, Jesus decided that he would change Thomas's mind. And in doing so, all 11 were fully believing and full of joy. 
In fact, the end of all the Gospels, Luke, Mark, John, end with the idea of the disciples have joy because of the resurrection of Christ. And so here, one thing that we can say is, is those who are worshiping are those who completely believed. The disciples had already had some sort of interaction with them at this moment, and so they were fully believing, but there were some that were wavering. There were some that were doubting. There were some that couldn't believe their eyes. Now, before we do the whole hindsight is twenty twenty and talk about what terrible pagans they are because they didn't believe in the resurrected Jesus, put yourself in their sandals for a second and ask yourself if you would have believed that upon first coming upon him as well. I think we would have been rubbing our eyes to make sure we weren't seeing something strange. But the most profound thing about this is what Jesus has to tell them. This could be a short sermon. You believe that? Okay. Did somebody down there just say hallelujah? This is Michaela. She was probably hoping it was done after she read. That's okay. Can we go home now? Verse 18, and Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what is known as the Great Commission. I was checking in with a pastor friend of mine a couple of days ago, and I said, how can I pray for you? I've been praying for you. Here are the things I've been praying for. How can I pray for you? He said, family's going good. Church is going okay. But... I don't understand why people don't take the Great Commission seriously. It's almost as if Jesus didn't really say anything. And yet, for even people outside of the church, they have some inkling of what he said here. This is one of the moments where he was clearest in his entire ministry. Where there is little to argue with. And that is the greatest concern of every pastor in America who believes that the Bible is true. Do we take the Great Commission seriously? Seriously, what is a commission? We've had commissions, right? 9-11 commission. Didn't they put together a Watergate commission? I wasn't alive then, so all you guys got to tell me. (laughs) Dwayne said, I'm a little sad because you're old enough to be my son. I have a son that's a little bit older than you. I said, don't tell anybody, they won't know. (laughs) Oops. What does it mean to be commissioned? Granted authority, so you've got authority from another place, okay? What else? Sent out. A commissioning actually gives us something to do. So not only do we have something to do that's been placed in our hands, but we also have in that commissioning orders from one superior to us to move in that direction. Is that all that it is? What do we think? What's that? It is a responsibility. It is something that has been placed in everyone's hands. There could be people that easily read this and say, well, it just says the 11. I think those guys did a pretty good job. Let's leave it at that. Are you comfortable with that? No. Especially if we can put Scripture together and realize that there were more than the disciples who were there. That there were 500. 
So what I think we need to do is we need to break this down to make sure that we understand it. Let me give you my definition of a commission. And I've included it in your notes. You don't have to write it down, but I want to read it. Entrusted with something, supplied with orders about what one has been entrusted with, and having a greater authority that now accompanies you. Does everybody realize here that you have a greater authority? I don't hear any amen, so you sure? Do you realize this? See, this is one of those scary sermons. Because if you walk out of here unchanged, you walk out disobedient. Aren't you glad you came today? Where are all those people from last week? They need to be here too. So let's start. Jesus said all authority. But he's specific about the place. In heaven and on earth, yes? This word authority is the Greek word exousia. It's the idea of having power. It is the idea that something has been given to him. And notice the word all means all. Any type of decision that would need to be made in heaven or on earth, that power has been given exclusively to Jesus. Here's the question. Where did he get this power? God gave it to him. In fact, for the longest time in his ministry, we read, I didn't come to do my will, but the will of the, of the Father. And so Jesus, not being inferior to God, was always humbling himself and being voluntarily submissive to everything that God asked. Why? Because he is setting a picture for you and I to understand. What is it to live a spirit-filled life? I tell you what it is. It is living a life that is constantly, perpetually in submission to the Father. Now we're going to talk about why that's important here in a minute. But in doing so, and in fulfilling what Jesus had been commissioned to do, He was chosen for a task. Luke 9.23 tells us He is the chosen one of God. What was He chosen for? To die for the sins of the world. That was his ministry to fulfill. And so he does that. He does it successfully. He accomplishes it. He completes all that the Father put in his path. His conscience was clear when he gave up his spirit. There was nothing else left to do. And he could say with confidence, it is finished. It's done. He's run the race. He has gained the prize. And now he is going to sit down at the right hand of God in the place of authority. Why does he sit down? Because he's done with the work God gave him. He's done with the earthly work that God gave him. And now he is reaping the benefits of faithfulness in his earthly life. What has God done to bless him? All authority. All. He is perfectly God. But notice that God is demonstrating here a handoff. Jesus is always the preeminent one of Christianity. But notice here, God has made it more so. And what God has done, because let's be honest, this this passage really isn't about Jesus, is it? It's not. It's about Jesus talking to us about something. 
And so the first thing he wants to establish in this is he wants to let you and I and the 11 disciples and the over 500 brothers that were there at one time, he wants us to know one thing. First off, you now have power because he has power. Think of it this way. You've got two bookends. The very beginning bookend is the fact that Jesus has all authority. And then we're going to have four volumes of things that need to take place. And then he's going to cap it off with the bookend. Everybody got that picture? No? Who's asleep? Who needs coffee? Stick with me here. Okay? I'm going to start doing cartwheels down the aisle. All right? I can't do cartwheels, so it's going to be awesome. The very first thing is the fact that we have his power. Not that we're powerful. Don't make that mistake. It's not that you and I are powerful. It's that he has all power. And because we are joined to the Father through him, we can't help but to be a natural recipient of his power. Are you in unbelief about that? At 9.30 in the morning, you're saying, I don't feel very powerful. On Mondays, I don't feel very powerful. Well, I was going to talk to that person about Jesus, but all of a sudden, I felt powerless. Is that true? Or is that the way you feel? Does everybody see the F train here? The fact of the matter is, is at the beginning of this great commission, let's read it again, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, above and here. This is the promised power that the Lord Jesus gives. This is your first bookend. Watch what he says. Go therefore. Now let's stop. Anytime we're reading, hermeneutic students, what's the question we ask? What is therefore? Therefore. Why is that therefore? Go therefore. Why is it there? Why should we go? Because he has authority. Anybody get scared in sharing the gospel? Frightened? Full of fear? I'll tell you what it stems back from. We don't truly believe that Jesus has all authority in the situation. If we were trying to win people to Christ, or what this deals with in particular, if we were trying to make disciples of Christ by our own power, you have every reason to be afraid. The flesh profits nothing. And what did we read earlier? Apart from me, you can do nothing. We sound like a helpless lot if Jesus wasn't involved. And the sooner we realize that about our daily lives, the better life we'll get. Not the easier, but the better. We do not realize that we have been endowed with power because we often don't believe the simple words that Jesus has said. The first thing that he tells us to do is go. Now, I have this really nerdy argument in your notes about why go, make disciples, baptize, and teach are all equally important and should be treated as imperatives. I don't have time to explain it. I'm pretty sure I still understand it, but we're going to go with it. Because Jesus has all authority, your first book in between those bookends is go. You know what that means? Don't sit. Don't stay still. Don't lay back. Don't lounge. You ever notice how much Christians go on retreat? If our military 
orders are go. Why are we retreating all the time? Now, Lord bless Zach. He's on a middle school retreat right now. If that ain't going, I don't know what it is. It's called retreat, but that's going above and beyond. Praise the Lord for him. But go. See, we would read through this so quickly, we wouldn't stop and look at G-O. Because here's the question I have to ask. If Jesus is addressing me as a believer in Christ, and if all authority has been given to him, and I am in Christ, and Christ is in me, and our lives are both hidden, I'm hidden with him in God, so we have this amazing unity, this reciprocal relationship, this desire for deep, intimate fellowship that he always wants to have with me over and over again, day in, day out, every hour, doesn't stop. He always wants to be with me, walk with me, lead me. He wants me to talk with him. He wants to guide me into all scripture. The spirit wants to lead me into all truth. We're a blessed people. But I have got to deal with the idea of go. So if I'm looking at this, I have to ask myself the question, is my Christian life stopped? That's the opposite of go, isn't it? It's stop. See, it's real easy to lick your finger and tell where the disobedience is. Just ask yourself, what's the opposite of every one of these important verbs we're going to deal with? If we're stopped, we're in disobedience with the Lord. We have to go. Ultimately, we don't really have a choice of whether or not what this is. And here's, guys, I know I'm going to take it away from you. It's going to hurt a little bit. This is not something you need to pray about whether or not you should do. Well, does the Lord really want me to go? I promise you he does. In fact, if there was a lot more going in the Church of America, we wouldn't be losing people right and left. Because we would be operating in the authority that Jesus Christ has secured for us and been granted to him by the Father, and there would be nothing that stops us. Once the train is rolling at full speed, a pebble doesn't stand in the way. It gets pulverized. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of life I want. Full steam for Christ all the time. Going, going, going. Why? Therefore, because of the authority. Go therefore and do what? Make disciples. Here's your second book. Does everybody notice as it doesn't say, Pastor, make disciples. That's what I'm doing. What are you doing? Sometimes we would read the Great Commission as, Stop, therefore, and leave people be. Leave them in their sin. Stunt their growth. Don't water the plant. Keep them from the sun. Overshadow them. Hold them down. In fact, the church has a real clever way to do that that looks like holiness. It's called legalism. If you're not acting like me, you might not really be saved and you're not as close to God as you should be. That's dangerous. Now you've just put people under the law. The law can't grow anybody. The law condemns. That's all it does. Make disciples. Let me use a Pastor Steve phrase. Who's your man? You heard him say that before? Who's your man? Who are you meeting with currently in making disciples? How many of you think in order to make disciples, you have to be just graduated seminary, 
You have to be a missionary who's gone through the ringer and has come off the mission field. You have to be a well-seasoned Christian who has got a Bible that's all marked up and fallen apart. Anybody believe that that's true, that that's who you have to be to make disciples? No? Okay, so that's not valid. Notice it's not, well, I am not blank in order to do this. Well, this isn't for me. Well, I'm going to exclude myself from this situation. Well, you know, that just applies to them. Well, that applies to y'all. That's how we say in Kentucky. Who does this apply to? Everyone. Me. You. All of us. There's not a person in here that if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that you're exempt from this. No matter if you've been saved five minutes. No matter if you've been saved 50 years. Every single person is to go and make disciples. Every single person. Now, what does that look like? See, that's the difficulty of it, isn't it? Make disciples. Where do I start? How do I begin? What should I do? What should I use? How should I approach this? The very first thing you do is you find a beloved brother and sister and you get with them and you ask, hey, would you like to start meeting together? And what would that time consist of? Time in the Word, time in prayer, time in fellowship. Pretty easy. How did Jesus disciple? He had 12 guys that followed him around all the time. I don't know that you need to get that radical with it. He had 12 guys that he met with all the time. He had three guys that he met with intimately. He had one guy that he had a very strange but special relationship who he allowed to live and not be martyred so that he could complete writing the New Testament by the power of the Spirit. He loved every one of them. He taught every one of them. He didn't accept any of their sin. He demonstrated grace by his life. He trained them. And then he sent them out. Why? Because after he made disciples of them, they were to go make disciples of other people. And when those people are made disciples, guess what they do? They go and they make disciples. Guess what happens after that? Everybody see how this is supposed to work? Let me ask you a question. Why isn't this happening? Why isn't this working? Why are we not doing what Jesus clearly says to do? Don't get me wrong. Some of us are. But if I look at the church across America, I'm depressed. Everybody's so much more concerned about how relevant they are than how biblical they are. We could stand to get rid of all the fanfare and the pomp and circumstances and burn all that garbage to the ground and get back to a basic principle. Go and make disciples, period. Open your Bible and meet with someone and stand in awe of a holy God. It's that simple. Look what he says. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples. And don't you wish there was a period there of all what? Nations. Here is the pertinent prayer right now for every single person in here. How far do I go? How far do I go? When Jesus said go, did he call you to Portage? Call you to Madison? Everybody's getting nervous now. Did he call you to Chicago? You're wishing he called you to Florida, Costa Rica, the Bahamas, right? Roxanne, did he call you to Togo, Africa? He has. <laughs> Guess what? The Lord got so much joy out of it that he's also called Roxanne to Guatemala at the end of May. Because God wants to use the skills that He has endowed us with, 
the gifts that he has graciously blessed us with to influence people's lives so that they get a glimpse of the mercy of the Savior and they are changed into his image. Notice this isn't drive-through Christianity. This isn't Mick Jesus that we're ordering at one spot and rolling around and getting delivered at the next spot. Mission accomplished. That's not what this is. This is spending time with, hold your breath, people. It's relational. It calls on you and I to be involved in one another's lives and constantly spurring one another on to know Christ more and to follow Him more. Have you ever talked with somebody and you knew what God was calling them to do? And they knew what God was calling them to do? And they tried to convince you that God wasn't calling them to do it? Yes? I might be in that situation right now. Because the ideal application to everything we're looking at in these three verses is, before you walk out that door and get in your car, you should have somebody in this room that you were going to start meeting with and making disciples. You don't have to know more. You don't have to be less. You don't have to have it all figured out. You simply meet together over God's Word, encourage one another, pray, seek the Lord together, making disciples. And then you ask the question, how far do you want me to go, Lord? To all nations? To all nations? To all nations? How many, does anybody here keep up with Ethnos 360? They're one of the most fast. What are you guys doing? Raise your hand if you got a Facebook. You will like them today. Raise your hand if you have a Twitter. You will fuck more Twitter people in here. Come on. You need to follow them today. Why? Because God is doing great things amongst people that look nothing like us. These people are being dropped into the middle of nowhere and are making connections with people that they don't even really understand their language. But because of phonetics training, they begin to develop that and learn what things mean. And then they develop an alphabet for people because they've never had it. And then they start to teach them what their alphabet is and how to write it and how to read it. And then after about five to ten years of time, they have translated the Bible into their language and they have led them from creation to the ascension of Christ so that they would be saved. A missionary that gets involved there, 30 years minimum in one place. Eating all kinds of fun things. Participating in all kinds of different things. Why? Because Jesus said go. Roxanne's greatest fear is she's going to be treating somebody in Africa and spiders, snakes. Yeah? Huge spiders. Huge spiders. Huge spiders, right? There's a good thing to pray for. But here's a question. Why would she go? It's real simple. Not because she's got all the power, because Jesus has got all the power. He said, go. What option do you have? You see what I'm saying? What is the alternative? To be in complete disruption and distortion with my Savior, knowing that because I am in blatant disobedience and not willing to obey a very simple command that He has called me to do and has supplied me all the power in order to see it done and has supplied me with a copy of the Word of God so that we got the textbook of which we should learn from in order to do this, And he's obviously supplied a whole lot of people because we're all sitting here today. 
So there's no shortage of doing or going to be done. There's no shortage of disciples to be made. So we have to ask the question, why are we not doing it? Is it unbelief? Is it ongoing sin? Is it laziness? I sometimes wonder what excuses are going to look like at the judgment seat of Christ. You want me to tell you what our greatest problem is? Busyness. I'm too busy. Let's say it for what it is. I'm too busy to believe that Jesus has all power and that he has really called me to make disciples because if I don't get this deal done, if I don't make this appointment, if I don't get enough sleep, it's not going to happen. Here's a loaded question. How many of you have a family? Guess where you get to start making disciples? Family. Raising them and leading them to know the Lord. Let's move on. Of all the nations, God, where do you want me to go? Baptizing them. Dunking them in water, why? Because baptism gets them saved? No, because baptism establishes for them their identification of the new life that they have in Jesus Christ. Many people struggle with basic doctrine because they don't know who they are in Christ. They're suffering an identity crisis. Or sometimes we lack assurance of our salvation because we're too busy looking at what we do or what we have not done instead of constantly being enthralled with all that Christ is. That's our focus. In fact, I would say one of the greatest hindrances to seeing this be enacted in our lives is that we look at ourselves too much. Ourselves are of no consequence. Why? Flesh profit nothing. Flesh is going to come to nothing. All who go by the flesh are going to die. There's no power in the flesh. The only power that's in the flesh is the power of sin. That leads us in the completely wrong direction. This is why Jesus has all authority. Because he shares it with you and I to make us effective for his work. Therefore, and you don't have to be ordained, you don't have to wear a funny little white collar, you don't have to have a certificate that costs you 80 thousand dollars on the wall. You get to baptize people. When we did these last baptisms, we had the parents of the children baptize their children. Why? Who's discipling them? Their parents. Doesn't have to be me. I can guarantee you. And some of you know me a little bit better than others. There's nothing special going on here. Okay? Best thing about me is my deodorant right now. That's all. I'm telling you. I even slapped some brood on just to make sure. I'm telling you. Everything else about me stinks. I'm acutely aware of my broken and unholy nature before the Lord. And why He uses me at all, it's mercy and it's grace. I tell you this, it ain't any different for you either. It's not like God doesn't want to use you. It's like God only wants to use some people but not others. That's crazy. God wants to use every one of us. How do we know? Because He told all of us to go. He told all of us to make disciples. He told all of us to go to the nations. All the way out. As far as He calls us to go. Not where we've been comfortable Not where we put boundaries on. Not, well, God, I'm going to go this far, but I'm not going to go this far. You know what God does in a situation like that? Let me know when you're ready for God things. Let me know when you're ready for the power of God to be effective and active in your life. Still loves you. Still cares for you. Still leads you. 
But he's not going to sit here and strong arm a rebellious and unwilling child. I will tell you this, though. He'll paddle you. Anybody ever been paddled by the Lord? In fact, the biggest time that I got paddled by the Lord was when I didn't go when he told me to. When he told me to leave my celestial castle that was shining in brilliance of glory of the youth ministry that I had built. Started with 35, ended with four. And I said, no, I'm not going to go plant a church. It's not going to happen. A year, a year, a year of misery. The Lord would not let me rest. And I fought him for a year. I fought him for a year. Guess what? He won. And actually, when I stepped forward in obedience, finally submitting myself to him, putting his lordship as the main thing that I needed to be concerned with in my life, looking for his leading, the struggling with him was not the worst thing of it over that year. It was how I felt because I had stepped out of obedience with him once I was back in obedience. That was what ultimately humbled me. Because when he started pouring out blessing, when he started paving ways where there was no way, you can't explain that. You just look at the Lord and you say, thank you God for having mercy on my life. And still being long-suffering with me even though I'm constantly batting away your hand. Because I'm so scared that you're going to interfere with my world. Jesus wants to rid every one of us in here of our meology. And he wants to exchange it with theology. Because we have a task to complete. We need to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everybody notice that Jesus advocates the Trinity? This whole idea of whether or not God is three in one, lay that to rest. Jesus obviously believed it. And notice that Jesus had no problem asserting himself in there as part of it. See, he's not being arrogant. He's not being boastful. He's just telling you what's true. That's all he's doing. And why do you baptize them? Because now you're identified. You have a relationship with the Father as his child. You now have a relationship because of what Jesus Christ has done. He is your Savior. And you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit because he indwells you and he is your comforter. He is your advocate. All three are working to make us successful for his purposes now here's the one that scares everybody the beginning of verse 20 teaching them Uh uh-oh i'm not a teacher and i know you're going to try to throw it back in my face at some point i don't have the spiritual gift of teaching well then who's raising your children stop telling them abc and one two three you don't have the gift of teaching sit down let's call in somebody else i know Let's go to the world's savior, the government, and have them come in and teach your children. Since you don't have the spiritual gift of teaching, does that work better? Nobody's come out better that way? Are you serious? But all these promises. How better off things are going to be. Praise higher education, right? Or we found that that's broken too. No, we have the ability to teach. The gift of teaching is very much different than the ability to teach. But not one person is exempt from going to teach. We are to teach. We are to instruct. How do you do that? I tell you what, when you've got the Word of God in your hand, it's really easy. You don't run out of material and you've always got a good source. So you always come back to what God's Word says. 
and you always communicate this. Raise your hand if you're in hermeneutics. Awesome. Everybody doesn't have their hands up? Guess who you get to disciple? Hermeneutics people? Help disciple the people who aren't hermeneutics. Not holding that against you. But now you got people to get with because you got stuff to share. We've been in God's word. We've seen this. We've seen this. We've seen this. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, lives will start changing. doesn't mean that one's better than the other. It means that one's been exposed to more teaching in God's word than the other. So why not use that? If our source material is coming from anything else but this, we're in trouble. Now, before we get into the idea of observing, everybody see that? Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Before we get into that, let's talk about what this looks like. Let's put legs on the whole thing, okay? Take your Bible, put your finger here. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. We're going to look at 16 and 17. You're familiar with this verse. It's been used a lot. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Look what it says. All, what's all mean? I love it. We're learning, see? All Scripture, all Scripture is inspired by God. It is God-breathed. It is what God would want us to know. All of, In other words, all of it's true. The Word of God is true. Look what it says. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. Notice it's useful. It's advantageous to us for teaching. Teaching is the idea of giving us what we need to know. We would, we would use a formal uh, designation, sound doctrine, but it's telling us what is true about life. Notice it says here as well, for reproof. In other words, that's convicting us. When we learn what is true, it definitely holds a mirror up to us to tell us where we're wrong. So there's conviction that takes place here. How about it says, for correction. In other words, it tells us where we need to get aligned with Him. This tells us how our alignment is out of whack. Anybody driving a car with alignment that's out of whack? You take the hands off the wheel for a second, next thing you know you're in the other lane? Some of our Christian lives are like that. And why is that? Because we haven't gone in to get our alignment redone. That's what discipleship accomplishes. But not only that, look what it says after that. For training. And that word training is used specifically throughout the New Testament in the idea of what it is to rear children. For training in, not just training period, training in what? Righteousness. It's instructions on how do you move forward. I want to show you something interesting about this list. Everybody see those four things? Everybody see that? Notice it says teaching, reproof, correction, and training. Notice that only number one deals with information. Everybody see that? Only number one deals with information. Only teaching deals with information. Reproof, correction, and training deal with our lives having that teaching applied to it so that it changes. Why? Because the written Word of God is trying to conform us to the living Word of God. Because He is out to make us like His Son. There's no better place to be. I challenge you. Think of a place it's better to be than in the center of God's will being conformed to the image of His Son. Where is a better place to be in life? You won't find one. You can't find one. God's best is always the best. And whatever God wants for us is always the best thing for us. Well, He might call me to such and such. He might! 
And if he does and you obey him and you end up there, you will wish that you would have never come back to the garbage that you were in before because you've seen such greater plains on the other side of that hill that you thought was an obstacle. Are you willing? That's the question. That's really what it boils down to. Notice that the word of God is to be used in this when we're teaching. What do we teach? All scriptures God breathed. We teach it because this is what it accomplishes. And look what it says in 17. So that the man of God may be adequate. Some of you may have the word qualified. The idea that you are well fitted to perform a function. Anybody ever had socks that aren't fitting just right? That's not a good time, man. And you know that if you don't get that little seam that they've sewn right across your toes and it's over sideways and you're having to hobble it out while you're going places what's wrong with you did you fall no my socks are all twisted up it's a small thing it comes a big problem the scriptures adequately fit us with spiritual socks does that work for anybody let's just let that die how's that But that way you can move forward successfully. No hindrances whatsoever. That you may be adequately equipped. For what? For every good work. You know what that means? In every situation, if if you have allowed for the Word of God to do its work because you've taken it in, you will lack nothing. Everybody see the contrast between having everything in Jesus Christ and nothing without Him? Does everybody see this? Okay, it's a good one. How about this? Turn over to 2 Peter. Turn over to the right. Second Peter. Second Peter, let's go to one. <clears throat> Second Peter, chapter one, look at verse three. Actually, let's do verse two as well because we're picking up in the middle of a sentence. Second Peter, chapter one, verse two. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine what? Divine power. Stop for a second. Where did he get this power? From God. This is the authority that's been granted to him. Now watch this. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us stuff. Is that what it says? Some things. Couple things. Everything. Everything. With Christ, you have everything. His divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life. Boy, that's a general scope, isn't it? You know what that means? Birth till death. Life, and not just life, but what? Notice what it says. And godliness. And godliness. Are you living a godly life? If not, why not? It's not because God didn't give you something. It's not because God was withholding anything. Does everybody see that? God is not this kind of God. No. He's this kind of God. He's always been this kind of God. God still wants people to know Him. One of the basic tenets that we looked at in this whole series when we started it was the idea that God wants to be known. He is dying for people to know Him. He is living for people to know Him. He wants to see it happen. In fact, that's that's what He wants. He invites us to be part of it. Everything to life and godliness. 
We have the ability to live a God-like life. Not that we are God, but the change that is wrought in us by the Holy Spirit and acting with the Word and creating spiritual dynamite to conform us to whatever the drivel was that we were standing for before and embracing to all of a sudden much greater and glorious things by His mercy? People take note of that. People want to know what in the world is going on. Some of you have had that interaction just by the shoes you wear. Girl, did you get some new shoes? Yes, I did. And you're proud of them, right? Because it's a change. People notice how much more when they see what's changing on the inside. How much more? How much greater? How much glorious? Not for you. For Him. Notice. Pertaining to life and godliness. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. What? Through the true knowledge of him through the true knowledge of him this word is epigenosis let's do something fun let's say greek stuff epigenosis epigenosis say it again you say it about as well as i do praise the lord which is not good what that means is the full knowledge it's talking about an experiential knowledge. It's not talking about, well, it's just a bunch of words on some paper or some things that some guys believed a long time ago. <gasps> I'm so bored about to fall asleep at church. No. It's talking about by you believing God's word and acting upon it, that he is drawing you into a fuller experience of himself. He is showing you things in your life you could never see before. Why is that? Because we took the time to submit to Him and obey Him. When He said go, we went. When He said make disciples, we did that. When He said baptize them, we said yes. When He said teach them, we said I will, Lord. How in the world am I going to teach Him? He's given you everything. All things for life and godliness right here. He wants to draw you into a greater experience with Him right here. He wants to use you to communicate this to other people so it draws them into a greater experience so that more people after that will be affected by it. Does everybody see what God's doing? It's the greatest plan in the world. It's the greatest plan in the world. How about this? The last little verse we'll look at. We'll go back to Matthew and finish it up. But go to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, I love this verse. This verse drives me every day. Colossians 1. I think we're going to get done on time. <laughs> like preacher i can't trust you you lie all the time right colossians 1 28 we proclaim him who's him jesus hey i got a great question who's we everybody notice it's plural uses usins if you're from kentucky you'll say usins whatever we proclaim Him. And what do we do? Admonishing every man. That word admonishing is the idea of warning or exhorting. Every man. Admonishing every man. And, what's the word? Teaching every man with all wisdom. So that, here's the reason why. With all wisdom means that we've been in the Word ourselves. So that we may present every man complete in Christ. This word is teleos, complete. And it's the idea of being fully mature, full grown. The idea of you're lacking nothing because you have been supplied with everything and have taken advantage of that nourishment spiritually and have grown up into strength and maturity. In other words, it's the end goal of discipleship. 
We proclaim Christ. He's the center. We warn. We admonish. Yes, we bring up sin. We talk to people about their sin. We tell them, that's sinful and you're a sinner. Period. Why? Guys, we've been sugarcoating people for too long. I'm really sad at the coddled generation that's coming up right now. And all the seeker-sensitive garbage we have in some churches, well, we can't talk about sin. Why? If you want to know who you're welcoming to your church, you're welcoming sinners. And they need Jesus. God love my son. He's as cute as a button. He is so full of sin, it's ridiculous. He is. And he spurs me on to sin because I'm like, I'm about to bust a vein and just tap out. You laugh because you've been there. You're checking your neck right now. I'm okay. But warning him. Warning him of unrighteous and evil and sinful things. And teaching him with all wisdom. Which means I've got knowledge and experience in the realm. So that I can pass it on. Why? Because the greatest thing I could ever do as a father, the greatest thing I could ever do as a husband, the greatest thing I could ever do as a pastor is to present anybody that the Lord has placed in my care before Him at the judgment seat of Christ and say, Lord, I discipled them to the point of maturity. This is why Paul says, I don't want to be ashamed when we get there, guys. I hope you didn't believe in vain because you believed in Christ, but you're not enacting anything that He told you to do. Now let me say this. I'm not coming down on you. You don't want me to pray against you in Africa. I'm just kidding. I'm not coming down on you. I'm so thankful that this church is not strapped by the burden of the 20-80 principle. Only 20% of the people in the church do 80% of the work. There's a lot of people in here that are active about everything. Nothing fills my heart with more joy to think how participating of your own volunteerism that you are in these things. But if I should sit back and say, you know what, I'm satisfied with that. Let's just coast forward. We can't move forward that way. We can't be further conformed to Christ that way. It won't happen. It won't happen. So we can't be content in any way. Celebratory? Absolutely. Thanking God that has taken place? Praise Him for it. But saying that we've arrived? I would be fearful. Because once that happens, we start the slope downward. We can't have it. Let's turn back to Matthew 28. Finish up. Go. Make disciples, baptize them. Fourth little book in between, teach them. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teach them to retain, uphold, and obey the commandments of Christ. If you're asking yourself, well, where's a good place for me to start in discipling somebody? Start with Jesus. Start with His life. Start with how He interacted with people, what He taught, how He treated people, how He dealt with sin, how He was selfless, how he's God in the flesh, but he humbled himself to be a lowly servant, that he went through the death of a criminal because he knew of the greater things on the other side of the cross. Start with Christ. Teach him to observe all things that I've commanded you. What content do you use? Supplementary materials, they're good. People have written some really good books to help. But those books never replace the Word of God. And here's the reason why. The Holy Spirit doesn't work with other people's books. The Holy Spirit works with His book. He's already got a book. 
He's already got a book to work with. It's a really good instruction manual. I have not mastered it yet. And I don't think that any of us have. So here's your starting point. But now he wants to shore up these books here. He gives you the last book in. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I, here it is, I, Jesus, am with you how? Always. Always. There is never a time that you are not with him. He is always with you. We're not just talking about the omnipresence of God that He's everywhere. We're talking about that because you are God's child and because He gave His blood and you have taken advantage of that pardon of salvation and have been brought into eternal life as a gift from Him, He is on you like stink. Sticking to you like glue. You can't shake Him. Sometimes you may want to. That's called sin. But there's never a time when you are without. Never. Never. And lo, I am with you always. Look what he says. Even to the end of the age. That's how you know it's for us. Because we are still in the church age. Jesus is still with us. Before you had the promise of his power, guess what this last bookend is? It's the promise of his presence. It's the promise of his presence. You have the promise of his power to go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them what Jesus commanded, and you have the promise of his presence shoring all of it up. You know why? Because that eliminates doubt and inadequacy. I'm not trying to disciple people to me. If I was discipling people to me, everybody needs to run. Because there's nothing in my flesh that's going to get any of that accomplished. But if I understand that Jesus Christ has given me his power and that his presence is always with me, my marching orders are clear. Crystal clear. So here's the question. Are you discipling someone? If not, why not? In fact, I'll go ahead and put them on the spot. You ready for this one, Jim? We have a whole team of people called the Elder Ministry Team. Elder, overseer, ministry, actively involved in imparting God's word to people. Team, they're doing it together. Every one of them could take on somebody, one or two people to disciple. Every single person. They have the ability. If they didn't, they wouldn't be elders, right? They have the calling, qualification for an elder is to be able to teach. Question is, if your desire for a Reuben sandwich and fries right now are keeping you from accepting what God has plainly told you in his word. That's what I'm concerned about. Because here's what we don't see. We don't see any margin for disobedience. There's no, well, I should. There's no, I don't know if God wants me to. There's no, well, I have to pray about it. I got to think about it. Well, I don't know. I just don't have the time. No, God is saying, clear your schedule and go do what I told you to do, not what you want to do. When that instance first took place, it was a place called Eden. Eve did what she wanted to do. Adam did what he wanted to do. Instead of what God told him to do. We're still paying for that now. In fact, that decision ends up being the result of why we're not ultimately making disciples now. Because if you're not obeying Christ and getting with someone and making disciples, you're in disobedience. I don't know how to make it plainer. Are you with somebody in a discipleship relationship? If not, don't leave here today until that happens. What is the topic of conversation in our fellowship out here? Discipleship. 
What needs to be happening? Discipleship. Why? Because God has great things He wants to do with this body. But I promise you this, if it's not obedient, He won't. He wants to. He desires to. He desires nothing more than to grow the body of Christ for us to be a shining light on a hill that radiates the glory of God that when people hear about Grace Bible Church, what they know about us is that God is here. That's what we want. When we talk about what it is to be loving people to life in Christ, this is the abundant life. We want to be encouraging brothers and sisters one to another about pursuing Jesus. Almost like we're going to die of thirst if we don't get a hold of him. He's worth it. He's worth it. Pray with me, please. Father, every one of our hearts need to settle on a decision whether or not we will be pursuing you alongside a brother or sister, reading very simply and clearly what Christ has taught us and told us, or remaining in what we deem to be a comfortable life. We are servants of self, convict our hearts. The scriptures tell us and over and over that we are servants of God. May we be such. Father, this is not a word that we can just leave alone. But if we are resisting, we need you to encourage us to a path of obedience. So Father, I pray that you have your way with our lives. None of us are exempt. All of us are called. So help us, God.